Do you know why you believe what you believe? If someone were to ask you today what you believe, would you be able to tell them why you believe it? Answering, this is what my church says, so it's what I believe. This is not a good answer. So what is a good answer? The disciples Peter speaks about this, and this is what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the Grafted Podcast. The answer to the question. Welcome to the Grafted Podcast with your host, Adam Weatherly, bringing you encouraging stories, in-depth conversations, and practical biblical teaching for everyday life. How's it going, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Grafted Podcast. Before we dig into Peter's teaching today, I wanted to share a few quick updates with you. I'll be making some changes as the needs arise to help make this podcast better. One of those first things is I have started a Facebook group for the podcast called The Grafted Podcast. You can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash The Grafted Podcast. This is to help make a community so that we can grow in our faith and learn together. You can also follow along on Twitter at The Grafted Pod. And of course, you can always follow along using our website, showingtheworld.com slash podcast. Now, starting with the next episode, we're going to be diving into the book of Romans. The book of Romans is full of rich teaching to help us grow in our faith. Now, even though we're going to be studying the book of Romans, I want you to be aware that from time to time, it'll be interrupted through intermingling of other topics and studies as they come up. This is to help us break up the study a little bit and to uh, give us more to chew on as we go through this podcast. Now, since we started this podcast, um, I've received a few questions. Uh, Actually, it's the same question from multiple people that I wanted to answer today. And that question is, are we still missionaries? Does my family still serve as missionaries? And the answer is yes. We are still Assemblies of God world missionaries, and we will return to Spain as soon as we raise our full budget. As of this episode, we still need to raise $3,200 in monthly financial support and $5,000 in our cash budget before we can return to Spain. If you would like to become one of our ministry partners that helps sustain our ministry through a one-time gift or a recurring monthly pledge, please go to our website, showingtheworld.com, and click on the Donate button to find out how you can become a ministry partner. So now that we've gotten all of that out of the way, let's dig into today's episode, the answer to the question. We're going to be looking at Peter's first letter. Peter wrote this letter to the believers who were in Asia Minor, which is what we would consider modern-day Turkey. Peter refers to these believers as exiles of the depression to remind them that as Christians, they live in a world that is hostile towards Jesus. This is his way of letting them know that they needed to expect opposition and persecution because of their faith. This letter was Peter's way of encouraging them about their eternal inheritance and the purpose of their earthly lives. Today, I want to zero in on 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This verse picks up right in the middle of Peter speaking about suffering for righteousness' sake. He talks about not repaying evil for evil and instead blessing those who do evil towards you. He mentions that if you want to love life and 
have good days to turn away from doing evil and instead seek peace. Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, this verse actually has two parts to it. The first part is to put Christ as the Lord of your life. During the time of Peter's writings, because of the persecution of Christians, some people practiced Christianity at home, but when they were out in the public's eye, they lived contrary to their faith. This happened so they wouldn't have to deal with the persecution. Peter spoke against this practice. He taught them to live out their faith by doing good, turning away from evil, and seeking peace. They were not supposed to be afraid of the people who came against them, but instead they needed to focus on Jesus. Peter said in verses 13 and 14, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. This is where verse 15 picks up and the point we just spoke about. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. When believers set Jesus as the Lord over their lives, seeing him as being holy and in their hearts, they know that he is in control and is the true reigning king and that eventually everyone will have to answer to him. The second point is to prepare your answer. This is really where I want to focus the majority of our time today. It's the second part of verse 15, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When Peter says to be prepared to make a defense, he's talking about having an answer to defend your faith. This is defending a personal faith, not defending Jesus. After all, Jesus has already conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. He doesn't need anyone to defend him. But what he wants and what he desires is for believers to be able to defend themselves through being able to give an answer to why we have faith in him. Christians need to give a reasonable account about why we believe what we believe. This does not mean saying something like, I believe it because the church believes it. That's actually a cop-out answer, and it really doesn't help. That answer actually turns people away from the possibility of believing. Faith is actually believing on evidence. Hebrews chapter 11 is a full chapter that is devoted to faith. Verse 1 starts off by saying, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. This chapter gives 15 different examples of how people in the Old Testament earned a good reputation through their faith in God, and it teaches us about how Christians should have the same kind of faith. Now, I don't believe that the people that Peter was talking to here were eyewitnesses to the life of Christ. They were not like the 12 disciples who were there. Instead, they were people who heard about what happened and decided for themselves to follow Jesus. 
Some of them may have been there when Peter preached his first message and 3,000 people came to know Christ. Some of them may have been in that crowd. But many of these people weren't there, and they came to faith through the preaching and teaching of others. This means that they had to have faith in something that they had not personally witnessed themselves. Instead, they believed because of the witness of others and the evidence that was known through the public events of Jesus' crucifixion. Peter called every believer to have an active faith and to be ready to speak out or give an answer for the hope that they had. Many times this defense was needed when believers would be arrested for their faith and put on trial. Because believers were promoting good and pursuing peace, really the only thing that unbelievers could charge them with was the hope that they had in Jesus. These believers had to be ready to give a reason for their hope. We can see this type of trial that some of them went through in the book of Acts, specifically when Paul was put on trial in chapters 22, 24, and 26. When Paul was arrested, there was no reason that they could find other than the hope that he had in Christ. He had to give an answer to the people, to Governor Felix, to Caesar, and King Agrippa. And each time he shared his answer, he spoke about his life before Christ, his encounter with Christ, and his life after Christ, which leads to the hope that he had. This is what Peter was talking about in this verse. Being ready to always give an answer. Today, around the world, there are many places where Christians are persecuted, put on trial, and forced to give an answer. Sometimes this leads to imprisonment, it may lead to torture, and other times it leads to death. I have a friend who's from Iran, and she was arrested, thrown in jail, and tortured for her faith in Christ and for distributing Christian materials to churches in Iran. She had to give an account for her faith in Jesus to the Iranian government, which is Muslim. At the same time, there are places around the world where these extremes don't happen. But people still face hardships at work, school, and other places because of their faith. For a lot of Westerners, this could mean unwanted reputations or biases that can lead to social consequences such as a loss of a job or loss of relationships. The God's Not Dead films are a great example of this. They are dramatizations based off of real-life events. Even in safe areas of the world, Christians must still be able to give a reason why they believe what they believe. And saying, I believe because the church believes this, is not a good answer. Now, I've said that multiple times. So what exactly is a good answer? Peter gives the gist of this the basic answer, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. The reason Jesus came was to give his life as a ransom, as a sacrifice, which paid our debt for our defiance towards God. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 through 4, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, 
he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Both of these verses are good examples of giving an answer, but people tend to want to know more. People love hearing stories, especially true stories, and they want to know about how having faith and hope in Jesus has affected the life of the believer. Your testimony belongs to you. Nobody can argue with it like they can with the Bible or with theologies. This is your story, and you are the expert on your story. This should give us the confidence to share it. It's important to know that believers don't have to be apologists or theologians to give an answer. Christians must simply know why they have faith in Jesus. This is where a testimony comes in as part of giving the answer. A testimony is a believer's declaration of what Christ has done for them. This definition comes from my friends and evangelism mentors, Jacob Bach and Kevin Prevost at On the Red Box. On the Red Box is an evangelism training facility based in Madrid, Spain, with training centers all over the world. Part of their evangelism training is helping Christians to write out their testimony to share the way Paul shared his testimony in the book of Acts. Testimonies can be as short or as long as they need to be. This is based on each individual situation that a testimony may be shared in. Jacob and Kevin teach how to share your testimony in five minutes or less for street evangelism. But there are other scenarios where a testimony may be 30 minutes or longer. I have my story, for example, set to a three-minute time frame or a 30-minute time frame. The amount of time that it takes and the exact details that I share are based off of the specific situation that I'm sharing it in. There are times when it's short and to the point where I'm vague about my story, like when I'm doing street evangelism. And there are other times where I share detailed parts of my story as they are necessary for the person or the group that I'm speaking to. To give you an example, I'm going to share my testimony with you. I grew up broken. I was the weird fat kid that very few people wanted to be friends with. The year I turned seven was the year that really broke me. This was the year that both of my parents were working all the time. My baby brother was born and it seemed like he was getting all of the attention and I had an extremely abusive babysitter. This was also the year that I was diagnosed with one of the worst cases of dyslexia that the state of Oklahoma had seen up to that point. All of this happened in the same year. In fact, I remember sitting outside the conference room door of the school board where they told my mom he won't amount to anything. He'll end up dropping out of school before he turns 16 to become a grease monkey somewhere. Because of dyslexia, I had to go to these special ed and lab classes. And in reality, these classes just got me bullied and made fun of. All of these things drove me into a life of hate, anger, and distrust. I was truly broken and was an outcast. I ended up turning to art and looking at things that I should not have been looking at as coping mechanisms of everything that I was dealing with, as coping mechanisms for everything that was broken in me. Thankfully, 
My parents refused to believe what the school board said. They pushed me through school, even with me kicking and screaming at times. I actually ended up graduating from high school, still not being able to read. But graduating high school wasn't good enough for my parents. They still wanted me to go to college. They understood what it meant to have a vocation and to be able to provide. With all of my horrible testing scores, somehow I ended up at OSU Tech, where I was able to study graphic design. This was mainly a project-based program, but even with all of the projects, there was still a fair amount of reading and tests that I had to take. So I ended up having to go to disability services to have them read everything to me and to take my tests. Now talk about embarrassing. My freshman year at college, I was invited to go to a back-to-school party at the beginning of the school year. So I went thinking this was going to be one of those typical college parties. You know, the kind that you hear about in high school and you only really see on TV. But it wasn't. It was actually a bait-and-switch party. It was the campus ministries party. There was food, there were games, and there was even a sermon. I mean, yuck, I didn't want to have any part of that. I wanted to leave and never return. But on my way out of the door that night, there was a group of guys playing video games in the front room of the ministry center. They invited me to stay, and I did. We ended up staying up past 3 a.m. that night playing those games. This led me into a relationship with people who started showing me what it was to be a Christian and what being a Christian was truly all about. They actually accepted me for who I was, that broken mess of a person. Because of all of that, I ended up starting to go to church with them. I got involved with the campus ministry. And at the end of my freshman year, the campus ministry invited me to go to a campus ministries leadership retreat. I guess I had put on enough of a show for them that they thought I was a Christian. So I went. At this retreat, I saw all of these Christians come together to worship God and to learn how to serve him better. I remember thinking, if only they knew how broken I am, they wouldn't have let me come to this. On the last night of the retreat, I was in service with hundreds of other college students from all over Oklahoma and Texas, and a worship leader by the name of Dennis Jernigan shared his testimony. I thought his testimony was really interesting because his situation was really similar to mine. He grew up as a broken mess, just like me. And it was then that I realized that maybe there actually is something to Christianity, and I realized I couldn't be a good enough person to make it into heaven on my own. While everyone was worshiping after the service that night, I just stood there watching. And out of nowhere, I heard somebody say my name. So I looked around and everyone was worshiping. I had no clue who said it. And again, I heard my name. This time, I thought it was one of my friends messing with me. But again, when I looked around, they were all worshiping God. It wasn't them. And then I heard my name a third time. But this time it was different. I heard my name so loudly that it pierced my ears and hit directly in my heart. And I heard the voice of God. God said, Adam, it's time. Get off the bandwagon and come follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. I knew then that God didn't care how broken I was. 
He just wanted me to say yes to Jesus and follow him. And so on that night, August 4th, 2004, I gave my life to Jesus and started believing in him as my Lord, my God, and my Savior. Almost immediately, I started noticing changes in my life, the way I acted, the way I talked, and the way I learned. I was baptized on May 31st of 2004, and on that day, it was like a switch got flipped in my brain. God had opened my mind where I could read and understand his word, the Bible, without any help. And by the time my sophomore year rolled around, God continued to heal my mind where I could read all of my books and take all of my tests by myself. I no longer had to go to disability services. A month later in June of 2004, I found myself once again at another college ministries retreat, but this time it was in Springfield, Missouri. This time I had gone with a changed heart and a changed mind. And it was at this retreat that I felt God calling me to use my talents and abilities for full-time ministry. I ended up finishing my degree in graphic design and going off to another college to work on a photography degree. It was there on Valentine's Day of 2007 that God filled me with His Holy Spirit and spoke to me again at another college ministries retreat. This time God said, go talk with the pastor about where they went to college. So I did. And when the pastor mentioned Central Bible College, God said, that's where you need to be. So I left photography school, moved to Springfield, Missouri, and it's there that I earned another degree in pastoral ministry and the Bible. Today, I am a spirit-filled believer in Christ. Jesus took the brokenness of my life and turned me into a new creation. He healed me and he changed my heart. Now I have two degrees and I'm looking to start a master's degree in the next few years. And today, with my family, we serve as full-time general appointed Assemblies of God world missionaries who works and teaches at a Christian university. Now, has my life been perfect since accepting Jesus? No, not at all. I still have faced many challenges in life since then, but my life has been radically changed because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Peter teaches us to always be ready to give an answer to the question. And Paul is our example on how to do this by using our own story to share the gospel. Now that I've shared my testimony with you, I want to know how are you going to answer the question. So here's your assignment. I want you to take some time to write out your testimony. Write about what your life was before Jesus. Write about your encounter with Jesus. And write about how your life has been changed because of Jesus. The second thing is to think about ways you can share your testimony. Who are three people that you can share it with this week? You may even want to practice sharing your testimony with yourself in the mirror or with a good friend. Also, think about what are some creative ways you can share your testimony. If you want to film your testimony in three minutes or less, you can post it to the new Facebook page. And finally, I want you to go and check out ontheredbox.com. 
there's a lot of free evangelism training uh, that goes on there. It's a great place to learn and grow, and especially when it comes to sharing your faith with others. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for tuning in to the Grafted Podcast. If you liked this episode or found it helpful, it would mean a lot to me if you would like, rate, review, and subscribe. Also, remember that my family is supported by partnering churches and individuals like you who make it possible for us to reach the lost, train the found, and to create resources for discipleship, evangelism, and church growth. To find out more information on how you can partner with us, please go to our website, showingtheworld.com, or find us on Facebook at Showing the World or Instagram at Showing the World Jesus. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Weatherly. Thanks for listening.